Hi everyone, welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope everyone has had an, a wonderful weekend and, and week and um, very uh, beautiful day out. It's sunny and summer's here and all that good stuff. And uh, for those of you who are new to the channel, uh, this is the Quantum Heart Cafe and it's where I um, kind of talk about uh, books and subjects that I'm interested in, such as uh, metaphysics and uh, like current events and what's going on in a wider society. So it's kind of a, you know, there's a wide range of topics I'm interested in. Uh, and then the focus where it, uh, is also talking about, like I said, uh, current events, but it's the current events that people aren't really discussing too much, or they are, but they're only doing it in a certain context. And uh, it has to do with the rollout of um, you know, web three, the spatial web, uh, token economics, and, uh, this thing called emergence. Um, and of course, you know, eventually, uh, of course, talking about spirituality and other important, interesting topics, but I really want to focus on that because, um, you know, there's this wide push towards getting people to, you know, get on blockchain and get on, um, and this push for human capital as well as nature capital management. If you're not familiar with those terms, I'm going to do um, my best on this show to talk about them and uh, define them and share what they mean because it's important. And uh, there is a, a concerted effort to take humans, as, human and uh, life, humans and life in general, towards this cybernetic type existence. And cybernetics is like the blending, uh, or it's like emergence of, or merging together different disciplines like uh, mathematics, science, uh, social, sociology, and um, as well as meshing together like things like capitalism and socialism and creating this like system. So that's kind of what my focus is for this show. And usually what I do is before I go into the book, I'm talking about, I do like to talk about, you know, just a moment of gratitude. And I was thinking about my moment of gratitude today, what that would be. And I think it's definitely, I am grateful for the, the songs of the birds, like, you know, getting up in the morning and hearing them singing their songs and, you know, singing at night and how it's easy to take them for granted. And, um, you know, I think that the Wi-Fi and 5G and stuff has had a, um, has been harmful for them. I don't know if you've noticed birds, you know, maybe they're not singing as much in the, in our communities and so on. So I just, I appreciate their songs and I appreciate that, you know, they're kind of reminding, you know, they're a nice reminder that there's a other world or other worlds out there besides just this, you know, cybernetic one that certain people and the system that they uh, support wants to push us all down. And, and of course, this is a kind of a cafe in spirit. So I do like to talk about the coffee beverages I've had. And I did have a decaf coffee just because, um, you know, I'm, film, I'm talking about this in the evening. And so it's, you know, taking, having regular caffeinated coffee is probably not the best idea. And, um, it's a coffee I got from a local coffee roaster, the cold palette coffee. They're quite good. 
And I'm running out, so I'll have to get a new one. So maybe I'll try another um, another local roaster or see if they have any decaf coffee. Uh, yeah, and you know, usually I just like to um, you know talk about uh, the books I'm reading. And for tonight's show, I'm, I'm not gonna. It won't be a long show, just because I probably I'm gonna be pretty busy over the next month or so with work. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like um, you know, there's overtime and stuff like that. So it's a really busy time. So what I might do is just do a, a maybe instead of one long show, like a series of uh, shorter ones. And I'll start today, uh, and then I'll post them as best I can uh, throughout the week and stuff. But this is a continuation of the series I did, which I started last week on emergence, and I'm continuing to talk about part two. And it's the book that it's a book that's written by Stephen Johnson, and I know I. I was going to give him, do a bio of him in this show, but I just didn't get a chance to put it together. So I'll have to do that for the next show. So apologies for that. Um, but I am going to talk about the first part of, or the first chapter in part two, and uh, which is called uh, Street Level. And I might not get, com- get completely through it this, uh, for this show, um, but I'll definitely finish it this week. I'll probably try and do a, rec- a recording later in the week, but we'll see. So I'll get, I'll go as long as I can today, and then I'll see if I have to just uh, do another quick, uh, quick show to finish off the uh, this chapter. Okay. Uh, so I left off last week talking about, um, you know, like emergence in terms of because in part one he kind of summarizes different kind of bodies of research I guess or different researchers who are working on emergence like he talks about slime mold cells and ant colonies and which you know social insects are often used as a model for emergent behavior or or complex adaptive systems because they want to use they want to model ant colonies and kind of turn humanity and all of life really into this kind of hive-like superorganism, like this planetary superorganism. So that's why they're focused on these uh, beings because, you know, they're really interested in like how local interactions between individuals or, you know, if they're talking about systems theories, they often talk about individuals as agents. So individual agent agents interacting together um, following simple rules to create higher levels of intelligence. And it's this higher levels of intelligence that lead to sort of like this organic, or not organic, it's not organic, it's artificial, but leads to this super organism or this world brain, which Oliver Reiser talks about in his World Sensorium. Uh, so to start off with uh, the street level, so... Uh, Stephen continues to he does continue to talk about ants and ant colonies and he compares their intelligence and evolutionary progress with ours which I don't know I think it's kind of arrogant I mean it's kind of I don't know yeah I find it a bit arrogant when we use the we measure another species intelligence or capabilities based off our own like if they're not as smart as us then they must be dumb and i think each species each beings and species you know they have their own intelligence and their own way 
of being in the world and their own way of communicating with each other that's different from us and that doesn't mean that they're like stupid or simple or whatever like it just means that they have their own way of being and it would be good if maybe we started to respect that a bit uh, and stop comparing every species to us because we're all different and I think that's uh yes anyway it's pretty arrogant I mean, it happens a lot but <clears throat> like I said species each species has their own and being and and each animal and plant and so on they have their own intelligence which is specific to them and we may not understand it but that doesn't mean that they're stupid um, and then uh, Stephen also talks about swarm logic um, which is what enabled, which is, he thinks it's, it's swarm, lo swarm, swarm logic that has enabled ants to become a dominant presence on planet Earth because they are, um, you know, ants do, I mean, we don't see them unless we're looking for them, but they do make up a lot. Um, there's quite a number of them, but, and they also play an important role in the ecosystem. They help replenish and repair the soil, like their activities. Uh, so again, it's like this whole dominant presence on earth. They're just, they're part of the earth and they're part of the balance of the natural ecosystems. It's not like they set out to dominate the planet earth. It's just, that's just what they do. And it's, it's that dominator mindset again of thinking that like something's the best. So it has to dominate, you know, it's just like, come on, man, there's other ways of being in the world. Um, and then, uh, Stephen saying that the ants appear to have a limited vocabulary of pheromones and cognitive skills, although they have a nuanced problem-solving skills uh, with even within these limitations. And I'll get to more of that in just a second. Um, and he thinks it's the nuances within the way that they communicate, or or with it, within the way that they problem-solve, that um, kind of gives them a better understanding of emergence and it's that type of data that scientists like Deborah Gordon who I mentioned in previous shows and Stephen talks about her work quite a bit because she's a researcher who uh, researching the ant colonies and how ant colonies form over time so it's that kind of problem solving especially nuanced problem solving that uh, is really interesting for them that's really important for understanding like creativity and emergence uh, and then Stephen also says that ants can respond to environmental changes by switching tasks to find food, build nests, and raise young. And I wonder if this is one of the reasons why they want to put us all on blockchain through um, these wallets, is to not only track and trace us, but if, let's say, because they want to create this super organism, and it's almost like the smart cities and the sensor networks that they're interconnecting um, could become kind of like the organs of the super organism, if that makes sense. Like maybe like a like in a way that where an embryo becomes, you know, parts of an embryo develops and they create hands and, and hearts and stuff. Like maybe the smart cities are like the arms and legs or something of this super organism. And so, and I wonder if being able to, res with blockchain, it's a way to track the environment 
because they want to have a digital asset for everything, um, which means is that the, you know, a physical being or physical object is uh, like a, a digital asset is attached to it. And so I wonder with that if, because it would be on the blockchain and have, they have all this, they would, uh, you know, theoretically have all this collective data that, that they would then, um, you know, be able to respond to changes in the environment. So maybe certain people, because they are, you know, really interested also in, in reskilling and these career pathways for people where people are expected to constantly learn and change and adapt. And so maybe it's like the, if the blockchain senses that there's a something going on in the environment, then they would uh, push people to, you know, nudge people towards switching tasks. You know, maybe it's not finding food and building nests, but maybe it's doing other stuff. So that kind of made me think about that, like there, that maybe there's a parallel there. Um, and then Stephen uh, brings up that there is no one in charge, and he's done that quite a bit throughout the book already. You know, just saying that artificial emergence is like this decentralized system. And what that means is that there's no like central government or no, no leaders calling the shots, like it's a bottom-up way of making decisions or a bottom-up way of creating higher-level behavior. And I disagree because the like right now there is a push to de for decentralization, but it's coming from uh, the top, like these inst powerful institutions, like the International Bank of Settlements or you know the IMF and so like these big financial institutions that are global, and they're the ones that are really at the the centralized like part. And so there isn't really going to be a decentralization in artificial intelligence. There's going to be a central institution or a central group of people or something like leaders that are going to be setting <clears throat> the program or setting up or calling or they're going to be setting up the behaviors and the, the things that the system wants. Like it's not going to be, you know, a grassroots thing where you know, people are organizing within their own communities, it's not going to work that way. It's going to be, I mean, they're going to try and make it sound like it's going to work that way, but in reality, there will be a central uh, institution or central group of people that are kind of setting the agenda or they're creating, they're, they're creating the pathways that they want to uh, steer people down. So I disagree and even in, like, Manchester, I covered a little bit of Manchester because he talks about, he uses Manchester as um, an example of an emergent city or example of emergence, you know, saying that the it wasn't until 1838 that Manchester got a, a proper like, municipality or they, they didn't incorporate, sorry, until 1838. And But then I read further and... There were the, um, oh, there weren't boroughs, they're like townships. And so, you know, I, I guess the township, it sounds like it was so very similar to like a little neighborhood or maybe like a municipality with their own councils and stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. 
with their own councils. So in a way there was planning because he talks about, he uses Manchester as another example of how there's no leadership in emergence, but within those townships, you know, there was a count, there was kind of like a council and there's people calling the shots, probably middle-class people, you know, and they, they consciously designed their township to be in a certain way. And there was like police forces and stuff and stuff like that. So all sorts of stuff. So it wasn't like some spontaneous, again, that, like I said before, it wasn't something that was uh, spontaneously created. Like there was conscious people designing the city of Manchester, just as there are conscious people trying to design this artificial emergence. So I do not agree that there's no leaders because there is. There are special interest groups and so on that are um, trying to manipulate and nudge people in, in certain directions. Uh, Stephen also re then re uh, spends some time reintroducing Deborah Gordon's work, and I talked about her in part one because she's the lady that um, is a researcher and she's looking and she's working on ants and artificial emergence. And uh, so Stephen talks about how uh, Deborah Gordon became interested in studying ants because she wanted to know how agents or individuals in the system were able to coordinate and make decisions based on local information only. Um, they don't know what's happening globally, and that's a really key uh, feature of artificial emergence is that, you know, people are only making, or individuals or agents are only making decisions that were they with, based on the local information that they have. They're not aware of the higher level organizing or the higher level purpose or what have you of the system and it's that level of ignorance that the system counts on and I'm going to talk about that in a bit more detail uh, in today's show and then and then local is also key a key term to understand swarm intelligence uh, Stephen says that Emergent behavior is in a system like ants when they pay attention to their, their immediate neighbors rather than uh, getting orders from above. Then they then they can act locally, and the sum of their interactions is what creates the global behavior, kind of like what I talked about. Uh, and then um, and and it's this type of interaction and this creation of a global behavior that's what they want to do with us is. Um, you know, through our interactions with each other and by following rules that they, you know, they'll probably be the ones that set the rules that, um, you know, these interactions that we have with each other would then create this global behavior or global super organism. That's their words, not mine. Like, I know this sounds like sci-fi, but there are people that are actually working on this. Um, and then he also talks about ants and chemicals because, like, one of the ways that ants communicate with each other is through these types of pheromones. And um, so he thinks that ants are only aware of the local interactions between each other and they aren't aware of their overall uh, global behavior of the colony. And ants rely on, like I said, pheromones. They're also called sem uh, semi semiochemicals 
for information processing, so that would be similar to the slime mold cells that they also have uh, pheromones that they release. Um, and then, but the slime mold cells, the the one with the like the greatest pheromone or the strongest signals, like they'll attract other slime molds to them, and then they would create this like super organism. So and that's kind of how the slime mold works. And then um, ants will also secrete a finite amount of chemicals to communicate with each other. And the chemical sing signals is key to understanding uh, swarm, swarm logic, and it plays a role in the organization of colonies. So, um, I mean, I don't know if we would be secreting pheromones in that similar way, but I think with, like, the... Um, imagine with smart devices and the electricity created the, with them, but there is, you know, they do want to use biometrics as well, which is using like the body and electricity to, and I imagine then that would be, maybe they would, or maybe they would imagine like connecting that to the network and it may be through the biometrics and biochemical, biochemicals that we release that would be the signals in a way for the organization of a super organism or something like that. Uh, I mean, that's kind of like my opinion on that. And, and it seems, so he, Stephen also said that it seems like ants, uh, communication consists of 10 to 20 signals. And like I said, the, he does talk about the, uh, pheromones, but then the, there's another signal that ants use, which is touch. And I don't know if you've ever like observed ants, interacting with each other, but they'll touch their antennas together to uh, talk. Because I, I used to, when I lived in a, in a house, they, you know, we get sugar ants to visit us every spring and early summer. And when I was a kid, sometimes I would watch them and they would be, they'd be talking, communicating with each other by touching their antenna. Um, and then what's also kind of interesting about the ants is that they can also detect gradients in their pheromones um, for so and what that means is that let's say there's a stronger um, pheromone trail on a certain path or there's a pheromone trail on a certain path and as the ants follow it the pheromones get their the signal from the pheromone gets gets stronger and stronger so that would be a gradient and maybe they they would use the gradient for us as well. I mean, it's kind of is similar to the slime mold cells releasing the pheromones because like the if you have a strong enough gradient, then people to attract people and have them follow it. Like if they go down a certain path and then the gradient gets stronger and stronger, um, you know that would make sense if they're trying to steer people in a certain direction that they have this already gradient laid out or this firm sort of like a pheromone tra uh, trail la laid out and then people you know through steering and nudging with their social media and so on you know they follow this path and it doesn't have to be a physical path like it could be most of it would be online as well um but that's just kind of how like you know if you try to make an analogy between this and what they want to do with uh human society that it you know that that those pheromones, those signals, are going to be uh, important for steering and and nudging people in, in a certain direction.
And what's interesting is he also talks about ants and frequency. So Deborah Gordon uh, also mentions the frequency of the pheromones and how that also plays a role in the ant language. And, you know, frequency, I mean, I don't know too much about frequency yet. It's something that I do want to explore on the channel, but frequency is definitely something um, that's part of the signals, like, you know, the Wi-Fi and Internet of Things, even with our smartphones, like, you know, the, there's a frequent frequencies that they're using, which they can, you know, use to, you know, do, th do things like control emotions and so on. Like, frequency is a big deal. Um, I, I, mean, I wish I knew more, a bit more about it, but it's definitely something, uh, you know, a topic for future exploration on the show. Um, and then uh, Deborah Gordon was saying that ants can adjust uh, task allocation according to food supply and, and colony size. Uh, and they would get this information from communicating with other ants and how often they meet other ants uh, along their, as they're kind of moving along their pathways, look foraging for food. If they meet other ants from another colony and they meet a bunch of them, or even their own colony and they meet a bunch of them, then they could get um, an idea of how big the colony is. So the so the pheromones and the frequency over time, like the interactions between uh, other between ants, is how the ants and the colony will adjust its behavior, um, according to Stephen and Gordon. And then I'm going to go over the five principles of building a complex adaptive system. And then I think I'll leave it there for tonight because, I, as I said, I can't do a super long. Um, I'm not I'm usually not. They're not usually super long, but I can't can't go as long as I wanted to today, which is unfortunate, but. Um, I think this is really important anyway, the five principles for building complex adaptive systems. Like if there's one key takeaway from the chapter called Street Level, for me it's this. Like it's just understanding these five principles and then if you are paying attention to social media influencers or just how um, even the news, just you'll start to see this. Like you'll start to see this complex, how these principles and the study into ants and slime mold apply to human human beings and, you know, where they want to take human society. Uh, okay, so the five principles for building complex adaptive systems. One, uh, more is different. Uh, two, ignorance is useful. Three, uh, encourage random encounters. Four, look for patterns in the signs. And then the fifth one is pay attention to your neighbor. So more is different. Um, ant colonies need large number of ants to make meaningful, meaningful assessments of the global state. And I'm wondering, because it's the large sample size, it's the large number of people, because you won't get emergent behavior from like, you know, a hundred people or so, or you might, but it might take a longer period of time. But if you cram 2,000 people into um, a city center or, you know, like I talked about in the last um, 
show where it's talking about how, how it looks like the, those big concrete glass towers kind of remind me of terraniums. If you shove, like, you know, I mean, I don't know if a thousand people live in there, but if you get a whole city block of these towers and you shove people in there, and that's almost two to three thousand people. And then with that, you could get an accurate sample size. And then you can also get, um, you could collect the data and see how many, like, find those patterns to see how, um, you know, artificial emergence is is happening in that area. So, like I said, a handful of ants can't accurately assess the colony's needs, but 2,000 can. And a handful of ants won't give emergent behavior, but 2,000 will. And it's just, a, like I said, it's the same thing for human beings. Like, 100 people may not give, you know, a, much data on emergent behavior, but a couple thousand or tens, ten thousand or more, you know that that will give, provide that kind of data. So it makes me think that the, the push for high density cities is really about that. And the number two, the ignorance is useful. So Stephen thinks that the simple language and supposed stupidity of ants, is a feature of emergent systems. And emergent systems uh, become unwieldy, unwield, unwieldy uh, when individuals become complicated. <laughs> so they want us simple. Um, so better to build uh, densely interconnected systems with simple elements and let the higher level intelligence trickle up from trickle from the bottom up. And this is essentially what they want to do with us. It's like, and, and then you have. Um, individual agents capable of assessing the global or having individual agents capable of assessing the global situation is a real liability in swarm logic <laughs> so they don't want people thinking for themselves because then if people think for themselves and they start looking at the becoming aware of the emergent or artificial emergence or becoming aware of complex adaptive systems then that you know becomes bad for the system because then you know like it's the, like Stephen says it becomes un, unwieldy, unwieldy. <laughs> um, because people then are thinking for themselves and then they won't want to go along with this emergent crap or this artificial emergent crap um, and you know it's kind of insulting both for ants and for human beings when they keep saying that we're just simple elements like human beings are complicated ants are complicated they have their own complications and so it's like you know we're not stupid and it and but they want us to be you know simple so that we won't a probably because we won't question the system and then b um you know it's easier I guess it's easier to steer us and stuff. So, I don't know. Critical thinking. Critical thinking will be their undoing. <laughs> or the critical thinking will, will cut the artificial emergence off at the bypass. <laughs> um, and then the third uh, principle, encouraging random encounters. So, uh, decentralization or decentralized systems rely on 
individuals randy, randomly interacting with it with a given space without any orders from above, but that's not going to happen with artificial intelligence or artificial emergence. It will, there will be orders from above, but anyway, so while individual actions are arbitrary when, uh, when combined with many more individuals in the system, uh, that they create the macro behaviors and altered states of the or an, and alter the state of the system. Uh, these haphazard encounters or interactions are needed for the colonies to learn and adapt uh, to changes in the environment. So the, the random interactions between individual agents, um, just to summarize that, is what um, creates the macro behavior and it enables the system to adapt to changes in the environment. And then the fourth principle, looking for patterns and signs. Uh, so pattern recognition is like metadata the colony mind needs. It, it, it wants signs about signs. So like, and it kind of feeds into the, the them wanting more people or more ants because like pheromones from one ant or a signal for one individual, it doesn't mean much. But when you get pheromones from say a hundred ants or a thousand ants, or you get signals from a thousand different people, then that can convey the state of the colony or or in our case, the state of a environment like a smart city. So they really, they want the data so that they can look for the patterns. So they want to gather all this data on us and on this, the smart cities and on nature and so on so that they can then find these patterns that are important for um, complex adaptive systems. Cause, and then I think the patterns also have something to do with feedback, which is also a really important feature of complex adaptive systems, which I'm going to talk about in a different show. And then the fifth principle, pay attention to your neighbor. Uh, so the primary mechanism of swarm logic, and I think from what I remember, the reason why he's talking about swarm logic is because it's it, it's that interacting, it's when individuals are interacting with each other and then they create like a, a macro behavior. So that's what he's talking about. So the primary mechanism of swarm logic is the local interaction between neighboring ants in the field. So ants stumble across each other or or each other's pheromone trails while patrolling the nests. So more ants means more local interactions, and this can mean the colony solves problems and regulates itself more effectively. So neighbors are essential to swarm logic. And again, I wonder if this is another reason why they're shoving everyone into urban areas and smart cities, because the neighbors, our neighbors would then like we'd be paying more attention to our neighbors and, um, you know, engaging in swarm logic with each other, I guess. I mean, they would use the electricity from the internet of things and all these sensor networks to, you know, affect people's moods and do things that, um, you know, can affect, uh, yeah, one's moods and thoughts and stuff. So, 
I, I guess maybe that's one of the applications of the of, of having all these people kind of crammed into each other or crammed into a city with each other and being surrounded by your neighbors but how many people really know their neighbors in this city but maybe that's why they you know they want to encourage more interaction with people but I don't know I live I've lived in condos and apartment buildings and you know neighbors barely interact with each other in a city and maybe it's just here maybe in other cities people are more friendly and open but I uh, hear people don't really <coughs> other than saying hi on the elevator they don't really interact with anybody um Okay, so I'm going to leave it there for now. Like I said, it's, it's kind of a shorter episode today, but I think what I'll do is try and just finish this um, this show on Wednesday because it'll be a, a bit of a shorter show. Uh, and then because I'm going to be working, uh, what do you call it? I have to work uh, overtime and stuff, so I don't know how much time I'll have to devote to doing like an hour long show but I can definitely break it down and just keep going because I, I don't want to like you know neglect my show or fall off the map or anything I want to keep going but maybe it's just um just given how busy I'll be for the next little while maybe it's doing like smaller but more frequent shows and then I can go back to doing like the longer uh, show or something like that so we'll we'll see we'll see how it works um, but I just wanted to get that out there and continue uh, the series on emergence and, you know, start with part two. So I appreciate everyone um, stopping by the cafe. I hope you learned something about uh, emergence. I have the other shows posted, so if you want to go back, you know, if you weren't really sure what... <clears throat> if you're curious or you weren't really sure, feel free to go back and check out um, some of the previous episodes where... You know, like I started talking about part one of Emergence and any other other episode on the show. It, I'm hoping that it's more it's a useful learning tool, and that um, it's kind of like a a library of information. And of course, I encourage you to read the books and um, you know learn more about the subjects. Like the book on Emergence has been really interesting so far, and you know, like with some of the other books, I can't cover everything. So I hope. Um, I you know encourage people to read the book. It's not a very long read, like it's shorter. But the reason it's taking me so long is because there's so much information crammed into it, and I'm trying to write down notes and remember important things so I can share it with people. So that's why I'm a bit more of a slower, uh, or it's a bit more of a, a longer read. But <clears throat> if you're you know just want to read it for the first time, it's not it, it's a pretty good read, and it's important to understand emergence and complex adaptive systems because I think this is where they want to take human society and, and life in general is towards this emergence of some weird weird ass super organism <laughs> so anyway I hope everyone enjoys the week and I'll see if I can post the make a quick post later this week um, and then yeah just continue the series and thank you all and have a, a blessed week blessed and heartfelt week. Okay, bye-bye.